0: Hello, and welcome to Ramblings with a Medical Historian. I'm your host, Nicole Curry, and this is a podcast where I ramble on about medical history. I look at strange practices, common misconceptions, and medicine throughout history. I also talk about some interesting Canadian and local history. This is Season 2, Episode 1 and I'm sorry that I've been gone for so long but I took the summer off podcasting so that I could write these next few episodes as well as try and get settled with work and everything um, because I started a new job at my local museum so that's been pretty exciting. Going forward I'm going to try and post one episode per month. I know that I'm primarily a medical history podcast, but I would like to start this season off with a very important topic. I'm releasing this episode on September 30th, 2021, which is the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, as well as Orange Shirt Day. From the Government of Canada website it states, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation honors the lost children and survivors of residential schools, their families and communities public commemoration of the tragic and painful history and ongoing impacts of residential schools is a vital component of the reconciliation process. The creation of this federal statutory holiday was through legislative amendments made by Parliament. On June 3rd, 2021, Bill C-5, an act to amend the bills of exchange, the Interpretation Act and the Canadian Labour Code, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, received royal consent. Now, Orange Shirt Day is an Indigenous-led, grassroots commemorative day that honours the children who survived Indian residential schools and remembers those who did not. The first event was September 30th, 2013, and it has been an annual event. This day relates to the experiences of Phyllis Webstat, a residential school survivor. On her first day of school, she arrived dressed in a new orange shirt that her grandmother gave her, which was promptly taken from her. It is now a symbol of the stripping away of culture, freedom, and self-esteem experienced by Indigenous children over generations. So from this introduction, you can see that I will be talking about the Canadian residential school system. I plan to have this episode out by June, but it has taken a lot longer than I anticipated. Before we begin, I would like to warn you that the topic we are going to be discussing contains things that may not be suitable for all audiences and may be triggering to some individuals. We will be discussing the kidnapping and abuse of children and the genocide that was the residential school system. This will be a heavy topic. There is a 24-hour crisis hotline. Former residential school students can call 1-866-925-4419 for emotional crisis referral service and information on other health supports from the Government of Canada. Indigenous peoples across Canada can also go to the Hope for Wellness Helpline 24-7 Counseling and Crisis Intervention. Call the toll-free helpline at 1-855-242-3310 or connect to the online chat. I've put a link to these helplines in the show notes, as well as a link to more information to begin your learning journey and learn more about the Indigenous Peoples of Canada. To begin with, I'd like to acknowledge that I am a settler. I live between the Batchewana First Nation and the Garden River First Nation Reserves on Robertson-Huron Treaty Territory. The Indigenous Peoples of North America have been here for over 30,000 years, and it behooves us to acknowledge and study Indigenous history. Today, I will be discussing the Canadian residential school system that has had great intergenerational impacts. On May 27th, 2021, an announcement was made that 215 unmarked graves at the former Kamloops Indian Residential School were uncovered. Now new light is being shed on residential schools. What schools do you know of that have graveyards? let alone mass graves since they found the graves in canloops nationwide outrage has sparked a new mission to search all the former residential school grounds so that all the children can finally go home there are around 150 residential schools that operated across canada and we must make sure that they are all searched As of September 16th, 2021, there have been a total of 1,802 unmarked graves found. Residential schools are being searched right now with ground penetrating radar to see if they can find unmarked graves. They have just begun the search by Shingwauk Residential School, which is the one in my city. This topic is very in-depth and will be spread out over a few episodes. Again, this will be a very heavy topic. And before we begin, I just want to say that I am a settler speaking on this topic and I have done all of this research myself, but I am by no means claiming to be an authority on this topic. I simply believe that it is important to learn about the history of residential schools so that we can better understand our current state. I believe it is our responsibility as settlers to learn the history of our indigenous neighbors that has been systematically concealed by our government. I never learned about residential schools growing up, and I didn't even know that we had a residential school in our city until I attended Algoma University and learned that my university is actually in a former residential school building. What is a Canadian Indian residential school system? At its most simplistic of descriptions, it was a network of boarding schools across Canada. But that doesn't even begin to discuss what the residential school system actually was. Quick overview that I pulled from the Indigenous Foundation's University of British Columbia website states... The term residential schools refers to an extensive school system set up by the Canadian government and administered by churches that had the nominal objective of educating Indigenous children, but also the more damaging and equally explicit objectives of indoctrinating them into Euro-Canadian and Christian ways of living and assimilating them into mainstream white Canadian society. The residential school system officially operated from the 1880s into the closing decades of the 20th century. The system forcibly separated children from their families for extended periods of time and forbade them to acknowledge their indigenous heritage, culture, or to speak their own languages. Children were severely punished if these, among other strict rules, were broken. Former students of residential schools have spoken of horrendous abuse at the hands of residential school staff, physical, sexual, emotional, and psychological. Residential schools provided Indigenous students with inappropriate education, often only up to lower grades. They focused mainly on prayer and manual labor in agriculture, light industries such as woodworking, and then for the girls, they focused on domestic work such as laundry and sewing. So that is a really quick explanation, but let's take a deeper dive so we can truly understand what happened and how it leads into today's society. We are going to start with the lead-up to the residential schools, then how they started and operated, and the repercussions. So this might be about three parts. Fast-forwarding a bit from colonization when the Europeans began to settle in North America around the 1500s, we all know the indigenous people were forced off their land, relegated to small areas, and killed by disease brought over and forcibly converted, etc. There are many wonderful resources that you can check out to learn more about this very big topic. The churches and European settlers brought with them the assumption that their own civilization was the pinnacle of human achievement. They interpreted the socio-cultural differences between them and indigenous people as proof that Canada's first inhabitants were ignorant, savage, and like children, in need of guidance. They felt the need to civilize indigenous people. The Indian Department was established in 1755 by the British to oversee relations between the British Empire and the First Nations of North America. It was transferred from civil to military control in about 1815-1816 until 1830. At this time, the British government began to try and reduce the costs of the Indian Department. The reason for the military control was to keep Indian policy out of the hands of local legislatures who wanted to seize Indian land. The Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada, Sir Peregrine Maitland, launched an experiment to promote Indian self-reliance, as if they had never been self-reliant for the centuries before the Europeans arrived. The experiment was to establish reserves and convert the indigenous peoples to Christianity and teach them farming. It would be financed by the sale of indigenous lands to settlers, so much for preventing the seizure of their land. After the War of 1812, all the things promised to the indigenous peoples, mostly the safeguard of their land, was left out of the Treaty of Ghent. Instead, they are repaid for their aid with the seizure of their land. Because, you know, that makes sense. In 1828, Governor-General Lord Dalhousie received instructions from the British Colonial Office to prepare an operational report and also that the service should soon be abolished. Dalhousie and Maitland were shocked and responded that the Indian Department was necessary to protect Indigenous peoples and their property. Dalhousie said they would be able to manage their own affairs once they had acquired the rights of other British subjects and obtained full citizenship. He continued to say that if they did not establish on the reserves, they would remain totally dependent on the government, starve on the streets, fill the jails, or join forces with the Americans. Ooh. They had several justifications for their actions. The colonial secretary, Sir George Murray, approved of Dalhousie's Indian Civilization Plan, where they would foster a love of land and country and respect for the government. They were granted £20,000 to finance the project and to begin to establish the reserves nationally. The Lieutenant Governor of Upper Canada, Sir Francis Bondhead, toured the Indigenous settlements and said that the Indigenous warriors were a doomed race as they could not become farmers and equal to the whites. He wanted to relocate the Indigenous peoples to isolated areas where they would gradually die out. And I quote, solve the Indian problem. This was a phrase that was very often used. And once they died out, they provide land for new settlers. So, as you can see, Sir Francis Bondhead was an asshole. Bondhead's plans and philosophy outraged many people, rightly so, because he was evil. The Council of Lower Canada rejected his plans and instead recommended the Indigenous settlements be located close to settler settlements. They called this the Civilization Program. It was set up in the 1830s and in 1844, a commission condemned it as too paternalistic and left the Indigenous people in isolation. Commissioner said that things could be improved with education, legal protection, and reorganization of the Indian Department. But this was rejected since the Indigenous Peoples, quote, simply be assimilated. To reduce costs and Indigenous people. yes, they were casually talking about reducing people, They suggested that indigenous women who marry white men would no longer receive presents, i.e. they would lose their indigenous status. Secondly and this is important to our topic today, they suggested that any indigenous person who received an education and thus was able to support themselves would be granted the title to their land and would forfeit claims to annuity payments of banned property. So basically, once again... So basically, once again, even though they don't say it, they are eliminating the native, making them into this white citizen that the Indian Department doesn't have to support anymore. This was the beginning of the Indian enfranchisement policy. Another result of the 1844 commission was a commitment to indigenous education based on model farms and industrial schools. In 1857, they set up the Indian Civilization Act, which established the procedure for the compulsory enfranchisement of the indigenous peoples. This became the basis for the Indian Act of 1867. In 1860, the British government said they would no longer fund the Indian Department. But have no fear, Canada assumed responsibility of the racist department in 1860. The Canadian government saw the reserve system and the indigenous peoples as temporary. Well been over 150 years and the reserves are still here but most importantly the indigenous peoples are still here and they have not lost their culture traditions and language they still proudly practice these now canada separated from great britain and became a country on july 1st 1867. At this time, Canada assumed all the control that Great Britain had in Canada, and wanting to assert more control, they implemented the Indian Act of 1876. The laws in the Act were aimed to eliminate the Indigenous peoples. So we're moving from the British and their Borg style assimilate to the Dalek style of exterminate. Now, I know that's a little bit harsh, but the government was a little bit harsh at that time. You can actually see this and it is shown throughout history as being the first steps of genocide. And that's exactly what it was. The residential school system was the genocide of Indigenous children across Canada. If you search Canadian Indian Residential School System on Wikipedia, it has a big notice that is a part of a series on genocide, namely the series on the genocide of Indigenous peoples. In the 1840s and 50s, the British government thought that one of the key solutions for assimilating and removing the Indigenous population was through education they passed on this sentiment to the new canadian government so plans to open schools for indigenous children were instituted so now you can see how the sentiments of the settlers were created The settlers brought over their ideals that anyone who's not Christian and lives as they do is the other and must be converted and assimilated to their ideal. They also had the discovery doctrine which based land ownership on who found it despite the fact that other people were living on that land. The church filled the role of converting the natives, or savages, as they referred to anyone who lived in a way they did not deem good enough or appropriate. The Jesuits were the main group of missionaries who would go out to convert. They arrived in North America and began to convert and educate the indigenous people the different religious groups were taking up the education and conversion of the various indigenous peoples in the 17th century. Education and conversion went hand in hand, and so the church was in charge of education. They were also primarily in charge of education in Europe as well, so this was nothing new for them. Political instability forced the church to halt its practices. So the Jesuits Porcelain's and Recolette had set up day schools and boarding schools. They were established in North America in the 17th century, but by the 1690s, they were halted. In the 1820s, the churches started the schools back up again. The Indian Department was on board with the education plan and supported the idea of the schools. Although schools were the jurisdiction of the provinces, the indigenous peoples were under the control of the federal government, namely the Indian Department. So their education was under federal control as well. In the 1880s, they began to open these residential schools run by the churches across Canada. So we will stop here for today and revisit what happened to the schools next time. So I hope you have learned a lot from this episode and I hope that you will tune in next time to hear more about the residential schools. I know this is not the most happiest or pleasant topics to listen to or to talk about, but it is something very important. So thank you for listening. If so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Ramblings with a medical historian or you can send an email to ramblings.mh at gmail.com. So I will be back next month um, probably with, episode on a little bit lighter topic and then come back and revisit residential schools in november so thank you for listening and remember keep rambling on